0: Um, As to the time frame on when that happens, it really depends, again, on uh, when and how quickly uh, the markets begin to revert to uh, normal valuations, um, which would require a haircut of significant magnitude. I mean, I haven't done the math in a while, but, uh, you know, it was 40, 50 percent on the stock market just based on that traditional uh, Buffett metric of stock market cap to GDP, you know, a couple of months ago. So I can't imagine it's, it's improved any um, materially. So, you know, we're talking about a major haircut.
1: Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder, Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with macro analyst, Stephanie Palmboy. If you haven't watched part one of this discussion with Stephanie in which she delivers the data that convince her that a painful recession is all but inevitable, despite what current headlines say, head over to our channel at youtube.com slash Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment themes we discuss in this video. Okay, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Stephanie Pomboy we've been talking a bit about inflation we've mentioned deflation very slightly um i know that you are I'll, I'll say team deflation that doesn't mean you're you're wishing it upon us but i think you know you've long said that you think that that is going to be the dominant outcome here um do we see it in 2024 in your your eyes
0: um well i mean i'm going to cop out on you and it all depends on what the markets do um you know i i see uh secular Deflation as the bigger issue. And, and that's a function of debt and demographics. Um, you know, there are no more powerful forces for deflation than debt and demographics. And we've got uh, both of those in spades when it comes to deflationary pressures. Right. And um, let me just say that,
1: that you're a great company there. Lacey Hunt is sitting yeah, right well, beside you.
0: <laughs> there is no better company than that. Um, And uh, so that is not to preclude cyclical inflation within the context of a secular deflation, just like you can have a cyclical bull market in the context of a secular bear market. It's really the same idea. Um, And so, uh, you know, this inflation that we've seen, just like the inflation we saw in 2007, eight can quickly fizzle um, with, you know, financial asset deflation um, and debt deleveraging, essentially, which is, you know, incredibly deflationary. Um, as to the time frame on when that happens, it really depends, again, on uh, when and how quickly uh, the markets begin to revert to uh, normal valuations, um, which would require a haircut of significant magnitude. I mean, I haven't done the math in a while, but, uh, you know, it was 40, 50 percent on the stock market, just based on that traditional uh, Buffett metric of stock market cap to GDP, you know, a couple of months ago. So I can't imagine it's it's improved any um, materially. So, you know, we're talking about a major haircut. And then again, we get into the whole issue that you and I have talked about, about the hit to corporate uh, and public pensions and how that will play out. um, And the reverse wealth effect, which is also deflationary, blah, blah, blah. But um, so, Uh, timing, obviously not my forte. Uh, I think your audience (laughs) is probably nodding rigorously in agreement uh, that timing is not my forte. Um, But over the long haul, I think, you know, clearly um, you will see lower inflation. This was a cyclical increase um, that was due to, you know, both supply chain issues and overlaid fiscal and monetary stimulus, kind of a perfect blend of stuff um, that's now dissipating um so that's that's what I got for you I, I I'm gonna guess what your next question is and that is uh do I like bond yields bonds treasury bonds in here because of the my inflation view is that your next question that,
1: that is a sub bullet so my next question okay. was where do you see the markets going from here um so look um anything you want to put around what potential Arc you see in the markets and I know that you've just very qualified saying look I'm I'm not I'm not the world's best timing picker but I think yeah. you've got the curve right. Um uh but yes um you know what what sort of preferred assets do you see moving forward from here and what assets would you want to avoid? Um okay. I'm going to put some words in your mouth which you can react to which is I'm going to think um to the extent that you you see the markets as getting increasingly challenged from here you're going to say most equities probably want to lighten up on given what you said earlier, if I listened correctly, I think you're saying uh, you're probably a fan of longer, you're probably a fan of US treasuries. I mean, obviously, everyone's a fan Mm -hmm. of them right now in the short end. But you're probably a fan of them beginning to move out on the longer end, because I do think you see the Fed will come back um, and start buying them again. You mentioned that they might even start there versus cutting rates. But I think you think they're going to have to cut rates at some point, too. So there's in the intro, I mentioned that there are people that are kind of all of a sudden right now, there's two camps with bonds. One saying, oh, my God, I wouldn't touch a long term U.S. Treasury with a 10 foot pole right now because rates are only going to continue going higher. And when this new secular era, I don't think you're on that train, but clarify.
0: Yeah, no, um, I'm not on that train. Um, I, uh, first off, one of the mysteries to me is how the market has held up as well as it has in the face of five and a half percent T-bill yields. You know, if I can get five and a half percent in a six month bill, I don't know why I would do anything else other than that. Um, Sorry sorry to interrupt,
1: but the equity premium is the lowest it's been in over 15 years.
0: And, you know, when you look at the spread similarly between uh, six month bills and investment grade paper, you're getting 50 basis points more to buy an investment grade bond, which, as I said earlier, you know, half of those uh, bonds are trading one rung above chunk. You know, they're one downgrade (laughs) away from being chunk. Uh, so why would you take that chance? You know, for six months, you're getting paid to wait to see how things flesh out and to see whether we're gonna have a hard landing or no landing or the Fed's gonna pivot or China's gonna do this or Bank of Japan yield curve control. I mean, you have six months at five and a half percent. They buys you a lot of time to just sit back and analyze. Um, so that would be my my current go-to. Longer term, I, I'll be looking for an entry point in, um, you know, longer dated treasuries, and that will really be, I think, soon around an inflection point in the economy. I mean, you've seen, of course, the Atlanta Fed GDP forecast at 5.9%, I think, is the the number so far for the third quarter. Um, But bear in mind, um, you know, the third quarter is the months of July, August, and September. So far, they only have data for July, and that's what this forecast is derived from. They're extrapolating the July data out through the quarter. Um, and we're already seeing, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a real shift here in August as those higher gasoline prices, in fact, consumer sentiment, uh, the weekly retail sales, you know, there are a lot of indicators that August has already seen a shift. And then you layer on the end of the student loan suspension at the end of this month, and you have the potential that September could look pretty ugly um, on the economic front. So I think that Atlanta Fed forecast will come down and there'll be an inflection kind of in the economy. Um, And at that point you might really wanna start to extend out and look at longer dated treasuries that have hit sort of their apogee here. Um, but you're right. I wouldn't be uh, touching any risk asset with a 10 foot pole here. Uh, I wouldn't be long equities other than the gold miners that I'm long, which of course have traded like dogs, but that's <laughs> expected. Um, and uh, I certainly wouldn't be long junk uh, or investment grade credit. Um, it, globally, there, you know, I might uh, look to own some of the resource producers that we talked about. Um, Um, but, you know, and I am long Japan. Um, so those are, you know, a handful of things, but those are real more, um, speculative place for me. My core positions continue to be cash and gold. And eventually I think I'll start, um, you know, stretching out on the treasury curve. Um, but that's it. You know, I'm pretty boring right now.
1: (laughs) And okay. Well, look, so when you say cash, I assume you mean either in in a money market fund or in short term T-bills. Okay. In T-bills. Yeah. Um, and and again, don't let me put words in your mouth here, but, uh, we, we don't get too many, like kind of obvious, um, investment plays, you know, as people who watch the markets and, you know, there was one, I saw what a year and a half ago, I think it was, uh, with the I bond.
0: Uh, Oh yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Where you're getting paid like nine point, you're going to get guaranteed 9.6%, right. Guaranteed by the federal government. Like, why would you not do that? Right. Right. To your point, like if you have uncertainty right now, which I think most investors probably do, you know, then why not just park and get five plus percent in it? And then when things get clear, you've got the liquidity to move, right? Which is, it's such a, it's, it's such a relatively prudent step to do here. You're nodding as I'm saying this, but I'd love for you to just chime in to make sure you're saying that, yeah, this is sort of one of those obvious moments where it's, it's really very little downside to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're getting paid to wait. And and I think the uh, degree to which no one is really doing that, stunningly, is evident when you look at the screen and the markets up and junk bonds are rallying, you know, that people are still taking the chance that we're going to have at no landing and the Fed's going to pivot and everything's going to be fine. And, the you know, the shortest, sharpest tightening cycle in the history of the Federal Reserve will end up being a big yawn. That's the bet they're making, and they're making it for, you know, like I said earlier, 50 basis point pickup on an investment grade paper. It's just mind boggling to me. It's not a but, trade I would ever make. But Steph, <laughs> AI. Right, oh, I'm sorry, NVIDIA, how do I not know? Oh my gosh, in fact, this isn't Stephanie Palmboy that's been speaking to you. It's my uh, avatar.
1: It's, it's, it's your chat GPT-6 generated <laughs> oh my gosh. version.
0: Actually, if that were true, uh, she would have done a much better job, but uh, here we are. It's, <laughs> it's the all. authentic me, and you can tell. Uh,
1: Not at all. All right, look, well, I want to get into my last material question real quick, though, just because folks are going to want me to ask this. Uh, you did say that you are still, you, you're favorable on gold. Your your yes. gold thesis hasn't
0: changed. No. Okay. No. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, the end game. I see. I, as I said earlier, you know, I, I don't see how um, we get out of this without the Fed going back to QE. Uh, and, and if my scenario comes to pass, I, you and I have talked about this, you know, many interviews ago about the uh, potential uh, increase in pension underfunding status. And, you know, how that could mushroom very quickly, just like it did after the dot-com bubble bust and after the global financial crisis, uh, to a point that there might have to be some kind of bailout, at least of the public pension funds. Um, and that would require, again, you know, some significant um, lift from the Federal Reserve um, in, in helping with that. Um, so, you know, I'm crazy. I, I think it would be very easy to see the fed balance sheet over 10 trillion dollars no problem um and in an environment like that um to say nothing of what's going on around the world with these brics plus and just the geopolitical tensions etc um i'd much rather own gold uh than anything else right now it, you know i think the dollar is uh in its final fits here
1: so i i agree with you and and i i hold a fair amount of gold so You know, it's not just my words. Um, (laughs) That being said, I do feel compelled just to toss this thought out there, which is. I would have thought that when the Fed's balance sheet went from. A little under four trillion to nine trillion or whatever it was, you know, that gold would have had a much bigger move than it did. Um, And I still believe that there's sort of a lag effect that's going to catch up um, with a lot of the stuff we've talked about where gold probably will have a, a catalytic move higher here at some point, but I'd like to get your thoughts on this.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. And it, you know, it's interesting because I went back and looked. Uh, if you look at from two thousand seven to today, um, the S and P and gold are up exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So you know, when people like me, I don't know to what extent you get tarnished with this, but I get tarnished as a perma bear on the stock market. Uh, you know, and copping out and by holding gold, which has just sucked so badly. In reality, they both performed exactly the same, um, so it's it's a little unfair. Um, but I, you know, my I would totally agree with you that I I was disappointed uh, that we didn't see a, a more spectacular rise in gold alongside uh, this uh, you know new innovation called quantitative easing. Um, but I would also say that I've been impressed with its performance. In the face of unprecedented tightening by the Federal Reserve. I mean, I, as you know very well, Adam, never thought the Fed was going to raise rates, much less to the degree and with the speed that they have. Um, and if you had told me they were going to do that and that gold would have been essentially unchanged over the year that they did that, um, I would have viewed that, you know, that is an incredibly impressive performance, I think. That, uh,
1: that's a good point. Sorry. People talk about how gold, it's real real rates that drive gold, right? Yeah. And so the, yeah. the more positive real rates get, it's worse for gold. Yeah. Well, real rates have really zoomed so, higher in a way they haven't in a long time and gold has really hung in there. You're making a really good point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. So, you know, we may be uh, disappointed, uh, on the QE side, but impressed on the QT side. Um, and, you know, we'll call it a wash. How about that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. All right. Um, all right. Well, look, here's the last point. And I, and I, I really have been looking forward to talk about this with you. Um, which is, you know, you, you've said that you think at some point the Fed is going to have to pivot and probably first, by. I, easing again but then bringing rates down right and that's that's kind of in response to things breaking right it's why we talk about the lag effect right that the this, this gravitational force that's pulling down the economy is going to get so strong that things are going to start crumbling under it and at some point it's going to get so bad the fed is going to have to intervene right that's the logic my question to you is i think that's all going to happen but how how worried how much do you worry or give thought to the fact that maybe the real breaking point here we should be more concerned with is not a financial or economic one but a social one mm. right so um I, I i talked to peter atwater uh recently and i'm going to mention that in just a second but um i think we already talked a fair amount about kind of the struggles that the consumer household's having right now if you want to add any color to that feel free to but but certainly. The bottom 80%, I would even argue the bottom 90% of, of Americans are increasingly finding themselves in a struggle, right? Real wages have not kept up. I think they've started growing relatively recently, but I think it was 25 consecutive months yeah. of negative real wage declines, while the cost of living zoomed higher than than honestly, kind of in, in living memory for most folks, right? So they're getting increasingly squeezed. Everything we talked about here just says sort of diminished prosperity in the future if if the outcome you think is going to happen I- indeed happens from here. Um, uh, there's a chart that I'll try to put up here uh, when I edit this um, that shows the um, qualifying household income for buying a house. Oh, yes. And it has that. more yeah. than doubled since the pandemic, right? So the forget about the brass ring, j- just like the the aluminum foil ring of just being able to like just just keep your head above water just seems to get be getting further and further apart from more and more people and um i talked with peter about this and he's very concerned about the growing wealth gap as you know from your your interviews with him and he talked about the danger of of a, a mass up, upwelling of what he called shared hopelessness mm-hmm. right of when 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 enough people you know, have this sense of like, it's, there's just no, you know, uh, there's nothing, for, there's nothing I can do to get ahead. Right. And they just start yeah. giving up. So, really bad things happen after that. And um, right after I interviewed him, um, there was this, well, I had interviewed Neil Howe about his new book about the That's fourth it. turning. We, we got all into the whole fourth turning and all the things you expect to see during one. And um, which for those that don't know the foreturning, that that's when things really begin to fall apart societally and the social, the status quo breaks down and and a new order comes out of the rubble. Um, But we had this sort of viral explosion of this song called the rich men north of Richmond. Have you seen it, Stephanie? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: And 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 to me, that was sort of a a sign of what Neil and and, uh, Peter both talked about, where you know, the social pressures start building where you get these manifestations of, you know, the the mindset, the gestalt of what's going on uh, at the social level. And and then, then once it's out there, people can start rallying around it and say, yeah, you know, I'm either angry and I'm going to use that standard to go grab my pitchfork and, and rally under, or like that's how I'm going to, you know, demand change of my elected officials or whatnot. And so it seems like we are seeing more and more of the fault lines and fracturing of the status quo that you expect to see in a fourth turning happen. And it's this theme I think of shared hopelessness that's driving an awful lot of it, right? Um, So I'm just curious with all that buildup, what thoughts do you have on this in terms of like the dangers of a real real rift to our social cohesion here as the so many that are getting left behind or maybe like finally finding a voice or in, in Peter Atwater's parlance, Hitting their their effort state where it's just like I don't care about decorum anymore. I'm not able to make it under this, and I'm going to start breaking rules. You mentioned Dick's Sporting Goods. One of the reasons why they've basically been guiding uh, guidance downwards so much in the future is because they're shutting stores because people are just shoplifting like in broad daylight.
0: Right. Yep. Well, I was going to bring up the shoplifting thing. Um. I. But what I was going to say is, you know, this is why I watch Real Housewives. (laughs) (laughs)
1: But <laughs> to, to escape no,
0: all kidding aside, that, I mean, it is there is such a sense of hopelessness out there, and I am your audience will laugh at this, but I am a deeply optimistic person. You know, if you know me personally, you know, I, I'm generally a very happy, optimistic person, and I try not to dwell on things that are negative and, you know, depressing, you know, I don't go watch horror movies and that kind of stuff. I still haven't seen Schindler's List because I know it would depress the hell out of me for years and years and years. So again, there's (laughs) Real Housewives, but, you know, so um, this is a topic that, you know, it's so resonant. I mean, there there are signs of it everywhere. And as you said, and I'm like, this shoplifting craze, and in theory, so he, here on the one hand, we have the Atlanta Fed forecasting 5.9% growth in GDP. Market thinks we're going to have no landing and everything's fabulous. And on the other hand, retailers are having to set aside money for shoplifting losses um, in, in huge fashion. I mean, fact set, you know, has been counting, uh the references to uh, this what do they call shrink now um, from the shoplifting effect. Um, and that just doesn't speak to an economy that's strong and everything that's well. Um, and I think that's why you see these these sentiment numbers. Um, and again, you know, it does also uh, point up this kind of ridiculousness, the sort of absurdity uh, of our focus on these stupid inflation numbers. You know, each month the Fed kind of pats itself on the back that it's bringing inflation down. Well, all it's doing is taking an obscene increase in the cost of living for the average American and increasing it at a slightly slower pace. You know, they're just turning the screw slightly less aggressively than they were for the last year and a half. Um, so the, the pain continues to compound and they continue to be squeezed higher and higher. Uh, and yet Wall Street greets these lower inflation numbers as, um, you know, mana from heaven, uh, because it means the pivot's going to come and everything's going to be great. So the contrast between those two worlds is stark. Um, and, you know, I I don't want to get into the political thing, but the the political partisanship, the stark... Division between, you know, the people uh, on one side and the other um, is so extreme and the hatred on each side for the other mm-hmm. is so extreme and the measures that they will take and the lengths they will go to, to um, keep the other side down or whatever, you know, it's just reaching a point where I agree, you know, it, it it's worrisome. It definitely is. And it's especially worrisome for someone like me who thinks that we haven't even gotten to the hard part yet.
1: Right. Um, That's one of the reasons why I really wanted to ask you this, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the one good thing about 2007-8 is we went into it in a much better place. I mean, households were in a much worse place in the balance sheet standpoint. But from a psychological, societal uh, standpoint, we were in a much better place. Um And then you think about, you know, I don't want to get too dark, it's already it's so depressing, but you think about all the um, the fentanyl and the opioid abuse and, you know, um, it doesn't seem like it's a coincidence that we've had this increase in suicides and drug uh, deaths, et cetera. Sorry, um, and not, not
1: just increase, but record numbers now of both of those yeah, suicides and know, overdoses.
0: It it speaks to a um, society that's in a dark place, and again, you know, I'm just struck by the the contrast between that and when you flip on your Bloomberg screen and what you see there, and what you hear when you turn on CNBC about how strong the consumer is and how everything's great. Um, so, you know, one of these is not right. Uh, one of these uh, is a real view. Um, And uh, unfortunately, I think it's the man on the street that has the narrative right. Um, But, you know, here's hoping that, you know, when the pendulum swings to one extreme, then you can have this renaissance and swing back the other way. And that's the optimist in me hopes that, you know, what we can do is have a little bit of a catharsis and a reset in a positive way. Um, And I think, you know, go back to more traditional values and priorities uh, and a government that's a little bit more for the people than for Wall Street and the, uh, you know, the big pharma companies or whatever, you know, let's, let's have it be a little more egalitarian um, and get back to what, you know, this country was all about, but it may take some real pain for us to get there. Um, But, you know. Again, I'm just a nerdy economist, so that's my view from the yeah. Deep no, in the, I I, I certainly don't expect
1: to have the answers to this, and I appreciate you you entertaining this topic with me. Um, but you're just somebody who who I think has a really you know a high perception view of what is what is probable from here, right? So I was well, interested to get your sense of concern, which I, I would put as sort of high.
0: <laughs> why, yeah. Um, and what's really worrisome too, Adam is. You know, this um, the the reckless, I'll call it reckless speculation and greed that the Fed has um encouraged over the last decade that has created these bubbles and the, you know, the zombie corporations that employ two million people and, you know, all this new things like private credit that didn't exist 10 years mm-hmm. ago and levered loans. And, you know, we've we've got all these speculative enterprises. Um, and at the end of the day, and you and I have talked about this a lot, it's Joe Sixpack that's going to get left holding the bag because his pension, to the extent he has one, owns all this stuff. Um, plus, um, a lot of these companies, you know, when they get hit, are gonna lay people off. So they're either gonna take the hit in their pension or they're gonna lose their job. Um, and it's just, it was all unnecessary had the Fed not been so irresponsible and built up these excesses over the course of a decade. And that's and why we
1: then- keep going yeah. back to the importance of, of policy because sadly it yeah. it has such a impact on on so many people's lives. Um, I, I, I actually decided as you were answering earlier, that I was not going to make this point, but I I now have to make it because you you just made the point about pensions, where one of the things that I'm potentially concerned about, too, and would like to get a sense for your level of concern is I definitely see social fracturing um, increasing between sort of the haves and the have-nots.
0: Yeah, we talked about that.
1: So so that's going to happen, right? Um, And we can... You know, argue how merited it is. I mean, I, I'm right there with you in saying that we have an obscene wealth gap, and and we we've got to address that, right? Um, also, Neil Howe thinks that uh, he says, "Look, this is all to be expected. This is what fourth turnings do." And he said, "Centralized control—that's th- what gets dialed up in a fourth turning as as the solution. In fact, the populace demands more of it. So we can probably expect like redistributive policies eventually mm-hmm. coming out of all this stuff, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, So I don't think too many people are going to shed too many tears for, you know, the top 10%, top 1% as as this goes on. But to your point about Joe Sixpack who gets screwed, yes, I think it's going to happen. Now, what I'm concerned about is the Joe Sixpack with a pension versus the Joe Sixpack without, because these pension funds, as you and I have talked about, right, is is uh, highly probable a number of them are going to implode, right, given the way that they're currently mismanaged. Um, that is probably going to require, uh, highly likely to require rescue efforts, bailouts, most likely funded by the taxpayer in one way, shape or form. Right. And, and I, I also fear the ire socially, the fracturing amongst the Joe six pack crowd of, wait a minute, I just lost my job. You know, my meager savings have been hurt. My home price has gone down. Why are my taxes going up to pay for my neighbor who's got a pension? Right. I work just as hard as that guy, you know, and, and yet I, I, you know, I'm having to cover for that. Right. So how how much of a concern do you have about that?
0: Yeah, you and I have talked about this. And I think, you know, my cop out has generally been that uh, I, this is why I don't think they will um, make a clear connection between, you know, a bailing out of the pension funds Uh, ostensibly much less raise taxes on the average person to pay for it. You know, I would view these bailouts as being sort of indirect bailouts where the federal government will come up with some program where Just they buy their assets that, directly. Yeah, and they and that will be funded in part by the Federal Reserve expanding its balance sheet or providing them funding for the government to you know absorb some of these losses or whatever. So it'll be a backdoor thing, which nevertheless, Adam, as you say, what Joe Sixpack, with or without a pension, will pay for in the form of reduced purchasing power. Um, so it's still going to be a massive hit, but I think that the government will be shrewd enough not to come out and say, "All right," um, y- you know. I think they've seen what's happened with the student loan thing. At least I would hope with people who were responsible and paid their student loans getting incensed by the idea that all of a sudden uh, their neighbor who didn't pay their loans should be able to get away with that. Exactly. Um, it's
1: one reason why I'm bringing it up because we're going to see yeah. that in the next month, right? Again. Yeah. Or, 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 sorry, we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna see that dynamic continue to to play out, right? And maybe it's gonna turn into schadenfreude now. Who knows?
0: Yeah. I mean the other thing with the pensions um is that the government could create a, a bailout fund per se uh and then require that the pensions hold some enormous percent of their assets and treasuries, in which mm-hmm. case, you know, they find a way essentially to self finance this thing. Um, so, I, you know, there are a lot of little tweaks they can do. And I, I do think that it will probably involve some level of a haircut for the um, engineers. Fun. I don't, yeah. And so again, the the, the uh, Joe Six Pack it's hit because he's either going to have his uh, purchasing power destroyed or he's going to get, you know, watered down in terms of what he expected to get in terms of pension. Um, but all in all, I mean, haven't we gotten dark enough? To-
1: <laughs> we we have. I'm sorry oh that God. I brought it there. But uh, but honestly, Stephanie, thank hey. you for doing that with me, because I, I really do re- respect your um your your expertise on that um you're you're somebody who both knows the data really closely which everybody knows from having just listened to this hour and 35 minute conversation we've just had thank you so much for giving us so much time Um, but also i know that you and i have talked about a lot of these topics both on air and off so i appreciate you doing it on air for everybody
0: i'm a broken record so i talk about this stuff all day every day
1: (laughs) Well, no, I mean, you. I think it's important for people to hear the, the, the topics on which you are so consistent because it gives them confidence that, okay, the data is not changing in a way, de- despite what today's headlines might be telling us, Right. Stephanie is not seeing actual real data to convince her to change her mind, right? Um, well, it's like right, we well, talked
0: look. about, sorry, before we jumped on yeah. this, you and I were talking about how, you know, I feel like a broken record because I'm pointing out stuff that seem, you know, I identify the oh. dominoes lining up. And, um, you know, it takes a long time for that process to play out. And while that time is lapsing, I keep repeating and repeating and repeating. And then eventually it becomes clear the dominoes are starting to fall over. You know, so I sound like a broken record just because, I don't know, I just, you know, I start looking at this stuff probably way too early and say, you know, well, here's a math problem. If you got twice as much debt and you're raising rates twice as fast it's probably not going to be good but it does those lags that you talked about Adam Laggard um are frustrating <laughs> because it means that you know I'm talking I'm doing math and it takes 12 months before that math becomes relevant. So, uh, you know, I think that math is going to become relevant in a lot of ugly ways in the next few months. So there was a lot for us to cover here. And I, I thank you for taking all the time to do that.
1: Oh, no, my pleasure. And just to underscore that, the, the value of you being the quote unquote broken record stuff is, ah. you know, a, a year ago, you were hammering the table about um, the vulnerability of of these corporations to the rise in in their um their, the, all the debt and the uh, the debt service costs and you know honestly folks didn't listen for a long long time and now they finally are right and so that's just one example right I mean I think folks should take validation from that that like hey what's the next thing that Stephanie or some right. of our other you know experts have been hammering on that suddenly at some point Wall Street's going to wake up to and say oh wait a minute I guess this matters after all right,
0: right. well it's the same like with the Fitch downgrade like oh my gosh imagine that <laughs> Federal uh, deficit financing is going to be impacted by higher debt service. I mean, imagine that. So, I mean, it's the same framework and you can apply it to any sector and, mm-hmm. and you know, pick what your poison is of the day. But-
1: yeah. So for folks listening, I'm going to be actually hopefully meeting in person for the first time ever. Nick Jurley tomorrow, uh, talk about housing. He's he's out here uh, in that'll California. That'll be interesting. Should be fun. But housing is like another one, Steph, where just like you, you talk to people right now. I'm seeing all these articles about how. You know, housing, Zillow, I think, says housing is going to be 5% higher next year. And who knows? I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm going to say, unless the Fed changes policy really aggressively, really fast, the housing market is not going to be able to sustain mortgage rates at their current levels.
0: Well, Adam, uh, you know, I we were saying, I just had lunch with John Hathaway, a mutual friend of ours, and he showed me um, Zillow is offering a 1% down payment Mortgage, so they are obviously um, talking their book when they talk about five percent growth uh, in the housing market. If they're if they're going to go out there and start lending to, they want. I think the headline was to track um, you know, lower quality borrowers or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So, now's the time. Now's the time to really get into that bottom of the barrel, please. Yeah. So
1: let's say the, the, 12 month timer for the headline that says, you know, right. Zillow earnings disappoint street due to excessive losses in, you know, low quality loans.
0: Exactly. Uh, Some of the
1: people take the over or under on the 12 months. I'm sure the smart money's on the under. Um, all right, Steph, well, look, um, thanks so much for all this great discussion. Um, most important question, which is for folks that have really enjoyed this discussion with you and would like to follow you and your work, where should they go?
0: Okay, well, um, they can follow me at uh, on Twitter at s. Pomboy, or they can just go to my website, which is macromavens.com, macromavens.com. And uh, that's pretty much it. I don't do a lot of anything other than those two things. <laughs> Yes. Thank you so much, Adam. It was fun. There was a lot to catch up on.
1: There was. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. All right. Well, now's the time in the program where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of the endorsed financial advisory firms by Wealthion, to react to the excellent discussion that we just had with Stephanie, as well as talk about the main uh, major issues that the markets uh, have been up to over the past week. I'm joined, as usual, by Michael Preston and John Lodra. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. Mike I think we started with you last week so John we'll start with you this week um what were some of your key takeaways uh, from this conversation with Stephanie we covered a lot of territory
2: yes Stephanie is always a, a treasure trove of, of observations and 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 data data observe observations um and um you know she has unabashedly uh, reaffirmed herself as being in the recession camp um we're we're not economists by trade, but we certainly follow data, and many of the data points that she points to are ones that we have watched very closely. Um, you've talked about it time and time and again, Adam Lagert, about the the lag effect of many of the <laughs> yep. things going through the economy, and and um, you know it, it, it is not uh, not atypical for for these lags to take time to play out. Um, just looking at the uh, interest rate increases over the last uh, several months, both on the short end, but also in the long end, um, really haven't flowed through to the economy yet. But we're starting to see signs of that happening. Um, you've shared a chart, for example, with the corporate uh, 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 debt issuance coming, ma- uh, maturity walls coming uh, this year into next year. And these are big numbers. And um, basically, the stimulus, both the monetary stimulus and the fiscal stimu- stimulus that have been undertaken over these last bunch of years have basically um kicked the can um basically borrowed from the future uh corporate margins were were padded basically by um deficit spending both by uh governments and transfers to households of 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 stimulus uh and uh, that seems to be in the early stages of of running its course we've seen Consumer spending slow down. Stephanie points out rightly so that, for example, uh, retail sales—if uh, if you actually look at real retail sales adjusted for inflation—they're uh, not healthy at all. Even if on a nominal basis they look like they're holding holding firm, we're seeing uh, households spending down, uh, savings, borrowing, uh, uh, credit card debt, and other other instruments at. Um, significantly higher interest rates today than than even just a, a year and a half ago uh this is not a, a a an economy that looks like it's headed for a soft landing like so many have uh wheeled into uh the notion over over the media over these last several um uh, months and weeks um we're starting to see employment. Data that's starting to fall into line with uh, a not so healthy employment picture. Just uh, yesterday, we got um, what's called the JOLTS uh, report, which is basically a report that the Fed watches pretty closely, and it, and it reports on job openings. Uh, and, and basically, the the Fed wants to see uh, the, the market um, have fewer job openings per you know per uh, worker looking for work uh, as a sign that the labor market is 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 uh, you know becoming less uh less tight uh, basically uh, that ha- the job openings numbers fell pretty pretty dramatically on ex- relative to expectations saw adp employment come on today um and some revisions down all to say is that the the last um kind of vestige of, of things hanging in there the, the employment picture was, has been the, the most rosy of the kind of economic indicators that has been you know chugging along here we're starting to see some cracks there and the big, big baffling thing to to us and stephanie um has has uh, shared her her take on that as well is that with the spike in interest rates um uh, that the stock market has been less effect, you know it hasn't been affected as as much as it ordinarily would be we think that's not um not a a a uh situation that will uh continue forever we think uh, actually that will come 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 to roost fairly Fairly soon over the next several quarters, uh, but you know we'll watch and observe, and um, in the meantime, we'll we'll be tactically inclined to to you know uh, in a very risk managed way uh, navigate these these uh, transitional times.
1: All right, um, the data that you mentioned about the jobs market, particularly the jolts, um, this is beginning uh, to start to close the alligator jaws. Uh, that we've seen uh, in a lot of different charts. I was actually talking about this with Stephanie off air. Um, she's got a ton of charts in some of her recent publications showing all these. These uh, her research report was called Jaws because of the <laughs> these divergences that we're seeing in so many different data points are are, are starting to begin to uh, converge again. Um, and of course, with job openings, you know, back when Powell started his hiking and tightening campaign, I mean, a year and a half ago. He was talking about uh, the historically high number of job openings for every job applicant out there, you know, as a sign of kind of an overheated jobs market. And he basically said, I'm declaring war on the jobs market. I'm trying to close that differential um, because the economy is running too hot and inflation has, you know, gone wild. And, you know, one of the things I'm going to try to do is bring demand down, and that's going to include demand for jobs. And, of course, the jobs market has been incredibly resilient uh, in the midst of that. Um, uh, we go to uh, Michael Kantrowitz's HOPE framework, you know, basically, which predicts how we we fall into recession as an economy. And uh, it, 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 his framework is called HOPE. Uh, it's an acronym, H-O-P-E. The E is employment. Um, the, the previous H, O, and P have gotten pretty shaky employment hadn't until quite recently. And we're now beginning to see that domino begin to wobble a bit. Um, I'll talk about our upcoming conference uh, in a few minutes here, but Michael is going to be presenting at that conference. I'm really interested to hear what he's going to have to say, particularly because we're starting to finally see weakness in that E. And one thing I just want to underscore, John, um, is, uh, you know, you made the joke about the lag effect there. Um, So much of the economic indicators that get impacted by the lag effect, um, I I think you got to think of them like an oil tanker, right, where the Fed says, look, you know, I want to put this way, the the, the Fed pursued a policy that basically led to this inflation that stimulated the economy and made, you know, the jobs market uh, one of the most, you know, best, quote unquote, jobs market we've had on, on record. And that has been pushing the economy all the way in one direction. Now, Powell has said, look, I'm trying to get that to, to swing in the other direction. It's taken him basically a year and a half to slow and then finally stop that momentum that, that the stimulus was pushing it in. And we're now just beginning to see that it's just starting to turn direction, right? So what we can expect from here is that we're gonna have a prolonged swing of that oil tanker in the other direction now. It's gonna take a long time. And at some point there, the Fed's probably gonna say, okay, you know, I'm I'm done tightening, you know, now the jobs market's getting more injured than I want. And we're probably gonna have a lot of overcorrection there. And I just want people to get that into their minds that that's how these trajectories work. So we very well may be seeing here just the final turning from one direction to start moving in the other direction here. And then this could be a very prolonged trend going forward from here. You're nodding as I'm saying this, John, but do you want to add anything to that?
2: No, I think that's exactly right. Uh these things move slowly and then all at once. It's it's uh the the, the problem is in the moment, um, the human psyche doesn't can't appreciate that. That's why bubbles happen. That's why things get you know, caught off guard. Um, but we can look back and and see how these things play out. We, you know, uh, you and Stephanie talked about uh, if there is an eventual pivot by the Fed that that usually is too little, too late. We can go back and study the 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 most recent major pivots uh, in in the face of crises. And, and I think we she she agrees with with us that there's likely no scenario where the Fed starts to lower short-term rates again. Uh, for fear of re uh, reinciting inflation prematurely, you know, declaring the battle on, on inflation complete prematurely. Uh, but usually when, when the Fed does ultimately have to, uh, feels it has to lower rates, it's because things are breaking and markets are in free fall. And, and, and that is usually very little comfort for a market that is concerned at that point. Housing bust, um, tech bust, both situations, the Fed was aggressively lowering short-term rates and it very did very little to stem the massive selling that took markets down over fifty percent in both cases. So we have no doubt they'll they'll turn to that playbook again, but it probably will be in in response and perhaps even inciting a panic uh, in the stock market at that time.
1: Okay, and of course, in the stock market's convoluted logic, we had this sort of worrisome downward, surprising data in the jobs market, and of course that ignited you know a a, a spike in uh, stock prices here. Uh, and that's largely the market, you know, saying, hooray, because the jobs market's looking weak, that means that the Fed is probably likely closer to stopping its rate hike campaign and, and closer to eventually pivoting. Right. And so it's trying to price all that in right now, which is.
2: Yeah. But 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 even in that the probabilities are barely budged. And I can share a, a chart here uh, of, of the Fed watch. Uh, G, uh, you know, basically, it's the federal funds uh, uh, probability curve. Can you see that that? OK. Yeah, we do. Uh, this is basically a time series. If you look at each one of these bars, uh, this this uh, kind of light bar here is di- uh, the G- July 28th reading. Uh, this is uh, the August 23rd reading. This is the August 29th reading. And the, the, the leftmost bar is the current reading. And what it shows is the probability for uh, what the market perceives the probability of the federal funds target rate likely to be. Uh, at that meeting date. So this, the next meeting is the September Fed, uh, Fed Open Market Committee meeting. Then the next one after that is November. So you can see uh, the latest reading is is uh, an expect. So the current rate, current target rate is five and a quarter to five point five and a half. So that's where we are right now. Um, and basically, there was a slight decrease uh, in the probabilities. Market assumed probability. Uh, in the um, September meeting that the Fed would raise 25 basis points, 0.25%. So it went from 14% probability down to nine and a half. Went down, so the market perceives a lower probability, you know, not, not a meaningfully lower probability. But you go to the November meeting, and you have, um, at the November meeting, the prior reading was a 42.2% probability on August 29th, and 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 now it's uh, a 42.8%. So there's still a pretty decent market implied probability that we'll see another quarter point raise, and and there's very little. Uh, if, if you go out to March of next year, um, the probabilities of, of lowering uh, down here are are still not that great. They're they're less than a third. Um, so this idea of this, oh, suddenly the data is bad enough. The Fed's going to just uh, suddenly turn on a dime here and start, you know, giving the market more uh, more sugar um, doesn't bear out in the data.
1: Right, right. Like I said, it's just sort of this twisted logic that the market is is still using. And of course, we've talked a lot too about, I mean, even if the Fed were to pivot soon, history shows you tend to have quarters of market declines following the initial pivot of the Fed. But of course, the market, the market is not taking that into consideration right now. Um, all right. Um, well, Mike, coming over to you here, um, anything that you want to add on to John's commentary about Stephanie's uh points there and then uh love to talk with you about um what this sort of twisted logic you know the markets are now using to rise here seems to be having a pretty good effect on the precious metals
3: yeah i think you guys covered everything or most of what stephanie talked about very well i find the kind of the psychology of all of this fascinating because what the fed has really done in my opinion has uh has honed in on on people's psychology and, and tried to create this wealth effect and basically to try to create discomfort with not being in in it or not feeling that wealth effect. And so, you know, that's had a lot of negative consequences. And uh, you, you and Stephanie talked about natural human behavior, essentially saying nothing's happened, so nothing's likely going to happen. Yeah, I can admit that even even I feel that way sometimes. This has been going on a heck of a long time this bubble has gone on at extreme levels of valuations longer really than any other bubble or any other market in our lifetimes. And it really feels like this is a permanently high plateau and people are getting tired. They're getting tired of, you know, expecting something bad to happen or they're getting tired of being out of it. And so a lot of conversations are all about psychology. It's a very, very psychological time that we're living through. We choose to put our faith in data we think the data absolutely matters. Um, this last 10 or 15 years now of Fed, you know, kind of reckless intervention has created a lot of psychological stress for people. It's it's you, know, you and Stephanie talked about, um, you know, the reckless speculation that was encouraged by this policy. Um, a lot of zombie companies that exist that not that shouldn't necessarily exist anymore. She talked about Silicon Valley Bank was basically a bank for zombie companies. And what happened when they? You know, went belly up essentially they were bailed out and there was a little bit of grumbling here and there uh, I think amongst the public but still you know the FED got away with it and so the so the so the mo is to bail everything out from here you know until forever but that's probably not going to be doable at some point um you know and, and all this talk about the pivot in a soft landing or or a no landing there's going to be some pain before the ultimate pivot I think we all agree on that nobody knows what the catalyst is going to be—that's the hard part. Um, I don't know what the catalyst is going to be, but I've got no doubt that from these levels, the stock market provides negative returns annually over the next decade, uh, with a high likelihood of a of a big drop of, of fifty to seventy percent. You know, given what the math says. So um, I guess we'll get to in a little bit what Stephanie's ultimate recommendations are. But let me respond to the the question on gold and silver that you just said. And I think I'd like to just share a chart, talk about silver and gold. We've been watching the charts pretty closely. And if you take a look at a monthly chart of silver or a weekly chart of silver, I'm just about to share it here. And that's coming up as we speak. Should be able to see it. Here's a monthly chart of silver. I'll go to gold in just a second. You know, Silver had its spike high 10 years ago. And this was a kind of the bubble top, if you will. And then a 10-year actually 12year consolidation now but silver has been in this range can basically creating a big triangle here. let me see if I can just zoom in a little bit. Um, you can see that this range has contained silver between around 22 and 30. but the last four or five months we've been bouncing around this kind of this downtrend line. you know this is potentially a bullish triangle. this is a downtrend if we get a sustained break above there, Um, silver could and should go up into the thirties. Let's take a quick look at gold here. Gold on a monthly chart also looks very good. It looks a little bit better. Uh, We've shown this chart many times. It's it's almost a snooze fest in that it's been all of these years, one, two, three, four years um, that gold has been putting in this range and what many think is a triple top. The last few months, it's been consolidating just like silver has It's back up at 1,972 on the futures. If we get a break above 2,100, 2,000 to 2,100, we should very likely go higher towards 2,500. The mining stocks have been underperforming still. It's somewhat puzzling. Let's take a look at GDX as a proxy. You know, it it too has had this consolidation, but it looks a lot sloppier on a monthly chart. We've had a nice bounce here recently. Uh, Gold gets up into the 2,000s. it looks to, to us like like mining stocks could play catch up and move up quite a bit they often go through periods of underperformance relative to to actual bullion that's what's happening right now if more attention gets focused on the precious metals that's likely to be very positive so we're watching that closely we have a position here we have it hedged at least 50 percent of it's hedged you know but overall i'll just uh, stop the share here um Overall, it's been a a test of patience being a gold and silver and precious metal mining investor. Heck, it's been a test of patience, you know, calling question into this whole narrative that this this market is at a permanently high plateau, that this is somewhat of a fake system, or it is a fake system, the money system at this point. You really can't tie it to anything. It really comes down to what a group of people say it's going to be. So a lot of people don't know what's real, and it's, it's difficult. But gold and silver are real and um you know we would advocate for continuing to be patient in the group five to ten percent of investable assets in bullion uh, we've got ten percent in precious metal mining stocks in our model and we think it will do very well other than that it's all about patience you know again we'll talk about what stephanie said at the end of her interview but it's about patience and having some dry powder and um you know, to to resist the psychological pressure to do something. Okay.
1: Um, I want to get to another topic quickly about sort of trying patience. Um, uh, I've had a lot of people on the channel uh, recently, and I I would say pretty much all of them are are on board with, it it is a historically very attractive and sensible time to be invested in short-term U.S. treasuries right now, that the, the, um, risk return that they offer right now is exceptionally good, and uh, particularly if you're not entirely confident in any particular investment thesis right now, you're getting paid attractively to sit in safety and getting paid a real yield to sit in safety, which hasn't happened for a long time, as we've talked about in the past. Um, there is a lot more disagreement cropping up now about the long end of the treasury curve. Um, we have people, I'll probably put someone like Lance Roberts, uh, who's one of the other endorsed financial advisors on this channel. Um, he and his partner, Michael Lebowitz, they think that uh, the Fed's hand is, is definitely going to be forced here at some point in time to have to um, reverse policy and bring interest rates down probably pretty aggressively, especially if something breaks uh, systematically under these this high cost of capital. And uh, you know the Fed has to step in to rescue things, right? And and of course the logic is is that will then um, uh, that that decrease in in yields will increase price in bonds, and that increase is greatest at the furthest end of the Treasury yield curve. Um, probably on the other end of the spectrum, uh, we have people like Luke Roman, who I just interviewed earlier this week, um, who is basically making a case largely sort of based in. Uh, the what he believes to be a secularly higher price for oil now, uh, and he thinks that uh, uh, any attempts by the Fed to stimulate the economy by cutting rates is just going to raise the, uh, the price of oil, uh, and, and essentially that dynamic will end up keeping yields high uh, in bonds. And so he's basically saying, I would not be going long on the Treasury curve right now, um, you then have people in the middle. I just interviewed Chance Finucane, who's the chief investment officer at Oxbow Advisor. He works with Ted Oakley, who's been on this channel, where they have a, a position, I think they said maybe it's like 10% of their bond, part of their bond holdings, that they put on the long end of the curve to to ride you know, sort of Lance's scenario if indeed it occurs, but they're not planning to, to aggressively add to that going forward. Um, I know you guys at New Harbor do have some positions on the long end in TLT. I know you have a lot of short-term treasuries right now. What is your position about um, the long-term treasury opportunity right now? Is it something that you're still playing for? And I think, as I said, I think you do have a position in TLT, but give us an update on that. Is that something you plan to add to going forward?
2: I can uh, chime in there on that. Uh, yes, we do still have a position in TLT. And um, you know here here's... Here's a little beef that that, that I'll articulate. Um, when we talk about positions, it's really important to understand in the context of our overall portfolio. You know, we're managing a, a, a comprehensive portfolio for clients. We're not just binarily turning on or off a position in in long-term treasuries. So uh we've we've held a position in long-term treasuries. We certainly didn't buy at the top, we didn't buy at the bottom, that's for sure, as our clients know. Um, but we have had hedges in place on that on that position. Our, our notional position, uh, when we established it uh, in, in recent uh, months and over the last couple, of, you know, a year and a half or so, um, was about 15% allocation. Uh, certainly not a dramatically large allocation, uh, especially be- because we think the short-term treasuries were were such a compelling place to to be on the sh- on the short end uh, for risk risk adjusted uh, return. Um, but we saw an increasingly um, attractive situation with long-term bonds, not to say that they couldn't have gone down, and they did. Um, but we had hedges in place there. So effectively, what happened in this recent um, sell-off in, in longer-term bonds, um, we've had a, a, a little bit of a bounce since the recent uh, near-term bottom. Our hedges basically took about half of that, that position off the table, okay? effectively selling at a much higher price. And we're comfortable with that right now. So roughly about a notional 7.5% position in the longer-term treasuries. Uh, Given the um, spectrum of of scenarios here, especially um, one that may invite a recessionary type of uh, phase here, that's a great place to be in a recession if you go back and study recessions, um, long-term treasuries. Now, we're not 50% in those long-term treasuries because there still is uh, a whole spectrum of of risks that can play out there including um, bond vigilantes and and uh, you know uh, we have some some major um, tensions on the on the global stage in terms of monetary policy and and um, you know uh, basically we've talked about what japan's doing with the yield curve control so it's it's absolutely not a no-brainer but we think for a uh, a modest uh, allocation to a client portfolio is a very good risk reward uh, trade. Uh, one that we feel very confident and comfortable holding, um, and we would not be surprised to see those those uh, yields uh, come off. our Our horizon for this trade is probably, you know, several months to a couple of years. We we are not looking at this as an opportunity to go out and load up on long-term treasuries and think it's going to be the place to be for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years as a passive investment. Absolutely not. And one need only look at uh, the history of 10-year treasury yields over the last 40 years. We basically have come off 40 years of pretty much nothing but declining 10-year treasury yields. Um, we, ha- we absolutely are not under no disillusion that that kind of tailwind is likely to be in place for the coming years. We think there could be a, a rally here, especially if we get a, a recession, but the longer-term picture is pretty pretty uh, challenged, we think, for longer-term bonds. We're much more um, constructive about commodities, resources, real assets as a way to navigate the next uh, decade or more. Um, but that that's our our take right now. And Mike, I'm sure you can add some perspective there as well.
3: Yeah, I really don't have anything to add. I think you covered it well. Thanks. Okay, good. Well, folks,
1: we'll we'll end it there. Um, just in wrapping up, I want to remind folks that uh, Mike and John will be joining me uh, all day at the uh, Wealthy on Fall conference that's coming up on Saturday, October 21st. Um, if you haven't um, registered for it yet, highly recommend you go do so now, basically, to lock in the early bird price discount. It's almost 30% off the full price. And if you're an alumnus of one of our previous conferences, uh, you'll get an additional 15% discount on top of that. And to get that, check your email. You should have gotten an email from me with the code to use for that. Just as a reminder for folks uh, of the lineup for the event, it's our strongest lineup of faculty we've ever had, and that's really saying something. Um, Lacey Hunt will kick things off with his keynote talking about you know overall macro, uh, his overall macro outlook, plus uh, his thoughts on uh, what the Fed policy going forward is likely to be. We'll have James Grant, godfather of interest rates, telling us where he thinks interest rates are going to be headed. Uh, We're going to have Michael Kantrowitz, as I mentioned, there. Uh, He'll be talking about the the full spectrum of his macro outlook through that lens of the HOPE framework. But we're going to do a deep dive on the E part of it since it's so critical. Um, Stephanie Pomboy will be there. Uh, She'll be giving us an update on where she sees things on the inflation, deflation side heading into 2024. Kyle Bass will be there. He'll be talking about the biggest geopolitical risks he thinks are likely to impact markets next year and how they're gonna impact them. We'll have Ivy, Ivy, sorry, Ivy Zellman talking about the housing market. Um, She'll be joined uh, by, uh, after she presents, we're gonna have a a live Q&A plus deconstruction of what Ivy presented with uh, Nick Jurley and Amy Nixon, two of the housing analysts that appear on this channel uh, quite frequently. Um, we're going to have Michael Leibowitz there giving us the latest update on bonds. We'll have Rick Rule sharing his top picks in natural resource and commodity stocks. Uh, we'll have Doomberg there talking about the global energy outlook. He'll be joined by Justin Hewn, and they're going to do a deep dive into the opportunities to invest in nuclear energy. Um, of course, we're going to have our advisors like Mike and John and Lance and Jonathan Wellham, uh from up in Canada. Uh, we've got one or two other speakers that have yet to be announced, but as you can tell, it's going to be a phenomenal opportunity uh, to go uh, secure your seat for it, get those early bird uh, price discounts and the alumni discount on top of that. Just go to com slash conference. Um, and as we always do in these uh, you know, week after week in these videos, um, for everything that Stephanie and I talked about and then what what Mike and John and I picked up here, we highly recommend that most viewers of this channel Uh, work under the guidance of a good professional financial advisor who can help build a personalized portfolio plan for you, taking into account all of the issues that Stephanie mentioned in this hour and 40-minute interview with her. Um, If you've got one who's doing that for you and executing it for you while keeping you well-informed, great. Stick with them. They're incredibly rare. But if you don't, or if you'd like a second opinion from one who does, maybe even John and Mike and their team there at New Harbor, then consider scheduling a free consultation with one of the financial advisors that on endorses. To do that, just go to wealthyon.com, fill out the short form there. Uh, these consultations are totally free. They don't cost you anything. Um, there's no commitment to work with these guys. It's just a free public service they offer to help as many people position as prudently as possible in advance of the many things that Stephanie thinks uh, might be headed forward from here. Mike, I'm going to let you have the last word here as we, uh, as we say goodbye to folks
3: uh, from this week's video. Well, thanks everyone for watching. Thanks for tuning in. I, I know that a lot of the message that we say is very consistent and maybe even boring sometimes. It's about being careful, being patient, having cash, having gold and silver. Um, but that continues to be the right message. I think that's essentially what Stephanie said at the end of her talk. You know, is essentially it's hard to beat treasury bills. It's it's true. You can get five to five and a half percent. On your short, short-term short money, you know, 40% of our model is in treasury bills. She likes gold and, um, and patience. So I know it's a consistent message. Uh, it's very difficult. It's very psychological. Talk to us if you'd like. We're happy to have conversations with anybody, and uh, a lot of those conversations is psychological, and I think we've got some unique insight and experience there. So thanks again, and I'll see you next week. All right. Thanks,
1: Mike. And for everybody watching, um, if you'd like to see Stephanie come back on this program again soon, um, and also just want to vote your general support for John and Mike in their weekly appearances here. It's such a public service they offer, keeping us well grounded. Please vote your support for both of those by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. John and Mike, guys, thanks again for another great week. Everyone else, thanks so much for watching.
2: Thank you, Adam. Bye for now.
1: Goodbye. Thank you. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth. And because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type, the kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold. And when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with US citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right. With all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to wealthyon.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.